This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. artistic change for me in the last 10 years is that uh, I finally view my inconsistencies not as my Achilles heel but as my superpower like I can score a movie I can do work on political stuff I can write I can do all these things I can be happy I can be sad I can be a punk I can be a hippie because I have all those you know to quote Walt Whitman I do contain multitudes I do and so do you I think we all do For Alex Ebert, using his various powers to connect with a larger community has always been an underlying goal of his work, which during the past 20-odd years has included endeavors in music, film, politics, and technology. But Alex is best known as the singer, songwriter, and bandleader at the helm of Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, the musical collective he started in Los Angeles in 2007, which is around when he and I first met. Hey, it's Jenny Ellescue, by the way. Welcome to episode 43 of the LSQ podcast. Thanks so much for pressing play. And special shout out to listeners on Alex's Tuners app. More on that ahead. I still remember the first show I saw Magnetic Zeros play here in Los Angeles, I guess early 2008 at the Regent. It was one of the most genuinely joyful concerts I'd ever attended, and I was instantly a fan. In the years since, Alex has expanded into film scoring, even winning a Golden Globe in 2013 for his score to All Is Lost. And more recently, he's ventured into the technology space by creating Tuners, an app where users share threaded voice memos. And you can listen to podcasts there, too, including this one. Anyway, that's where this conversation begins, with Alex explaining the genesis of Tuners and his excitement about a community where people actually listen to each other literally. Let's get into it. Yeah, at first it was like... um... I was just trying to create like a music app that like where I could share stuff without any fanfare, you know, where I'd just be like, oh, I made this song, here it goes, you know, but that that had like, um, I don't know, a sense of community about it or something. And then um, one thing led to another and we started to figure out this um, this idea of just like, what if you can upload anything, but you can also just record into it and uh, and talk. And it was more like a global voicemail depot and someone leaves a message you can respond to their message or leave another one and you create threads I'm really into threads and creating conversations 
and then through that and voice, we just created this thing. What's fascinating to me about tuners, though, which I, which I love, which was like a mis- like an accident in a way, was that um, I'm so used to using my voice that I didn't really consider. Have you ever like left a, a voice memo with someone or a, a voicemail like back in the day, and then you like you erase it? Because it wasn't quite right, and then you do it again, and you erase it, and it wasn't quite oh, right. Oh yes. Because your voice, the timber, the timbre, the thing, the way you, the, the intonation, the cadence, and you try it again. There's something about the voice that I had forgotten because I'm so used to like singing, I guess. That's really naked, much more so than a photograph or even video. Something about the voice alone. Um, so people, we have a lot of users on our app that don't. Like the majority, like 90% of the users on the app don't record their voice onto the app. And every one of them has told that, that I've spoken to has told me that they're just so afraid. They've tried it and they're like, no, I can't. I can't ah. just speak on this thing. And you might not know too. You might be oblivious too because you're always using your voice and speaking publicly essentially with these kind of things. But I mean, still to this day, I think for me, one notch above doing stand-up comedy is literally deliver, just delivering a speech. Talking conversations, one thing, but delivering like a forty-five minute speech, like man, I've had, I've done like like Bernie Sanders and the, that crew is like invited. Oh, and do a speech. And it's just like so daunting um, to to do that. And I've kind of done that on a small scale, but it's um, you know usually with the aid of music or something like that. But anyway, so then they'll say that they're afraid of of doing that. But what happens because of that crucible? Of of having to get over it, having to listen to your speech, having to work through the fear of your voice being naked on the thing. So far in the app, there's an immense reverence for one another in terms of there's just an immense reverence overall. Like I've I've never been in a social media environment at all where everyone is so sort of deferential, respect like like respecting of each other. And I think it's because of this crucible that each one of the users has to go through to get over the fact of their voice and they resp- they understand what that took and because other people are speaking they understand that they had to do that too and there's sort of like a reverence for the fact that you're even there naked on the beach together mm, you know, it's like okay interesting it's really cool so it's almost become this it's become a community that's like i wouldn't say self-helpy but kind of like group therapy like where people will disclose really personal stuff, knowing that they're gonna be sort of held, or that the space will be held for them. No one's gonna like be like, "Ha ha, you idiot!" Like, there's none of that. Right, right. Um, because your voice would be the mark. It would, it would sort of make this mark on your soul or something. There's some other yeah, quality. Maybe to it's it. yeah. It's maybe hearing someone's voice engenders an empathy that seeing their picture doesn't or something. I think so too. I mean, I would imagine that that discovering that the, the people were using it this way is one of the things that you're stoked to have so far taken out of that. It's like, oh, it turns out you can have this kind of uh, community and civility in a social media environment, which is probably a pleasant surprise about it. But I'm also curious just what have you found that you've gotten out of the process of contributing to it, the, all of the different audio yeah. that you put on there. Well, I've had to work through, you know, you think as an artist, like, okay, I'm, I'm courageous as an artist. I'm, I'm willing to express certain personal things. But you realize there's always another layer to peel. Um, 
waking up in the morning with a groggy voice and being like, telling people that you don't feel so hot um, or that you're working through like a depressive moment or, um, you know, whatever it is has turned out to be another layer of the onion that like, you know, removed of any sense of like being on a pedestal of any kind, mm-hmm. being a rock star of any kind, just a dude who woke up in the morning, fucked up, <laughs> like, right. you know what I mean? And um, no, no editing, no nothing, filter, no yeah. visual. Uh, you can't like, is he handsome? Is he fucking like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just some craggy voice telling you that like, I'm in a weird place. I can't, there's nothing to aid me other than that. And that's been a new layer for me. And it's gone, I've found it really, you know, it, it's, it's not like it was super difficult. And I, had, I was like sort of quivering with anxiety about sort of talking about personal things like that. But there was definitely, an, there is still actually an ongoing um, bravery to it for me. Like jumping in cold water each time where it's like, just let it go. Just let it do. Share with, share with these people. It's been cool. I mean, it's a small community. So like at scale, who knows, but we're, we're making it so that uh, you can cordon off any community you want. Kind of like in, like on a, like a WhatsApp group. Right. Um, so there'll still be the public feed, but then you can have different groups. And how long has it been uh, publicly accessible? I think it's been a year. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for listeners, Alex and I have known each other for quite yeah. a long time now, and you've done so many. I mean, since we first started talking in realms like this, yeah. in a, you've in done a, in so Mexican... many other different kinds of things the film scoring stuff and this kind of technology stuff and just human outreach kind of stuff. Uh, and obviously you just had a, a record come out um, just yesterday. Yeah. So happy album release day after. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting that this this album uh, is on the, under the moniker Same Dude. Um, is it, it sort it, of? I changed it. You changed it. I changed it the but last that is a that is a sort of... Uh, fra- that is a sort of phrase. Tag. Of, that is a tagline. It's a, a tagline yeah, yeah. for yeah. this particular creative thing, yeah. which is which you know immediately as someone who's been paying attention to your yeah. music for a long time, it's like it makes sense as a as a tagline because yeah. what's well, almost kind of funny, like perfect that I changed it because <laughs> that it's all the same dude, and then and then I changed that it's the same dude, but it, because it is the same dude. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, I guess, like. If in this, you know, sort of 10 years that you and I have known each other now, like the concept that you have to, you know, remind people that it's okay to be, con- have contradictions in you or that it's okay to right. like different stuff. Right. Do you feel more sort of at peace with that now than yes, when we that, first met? Yes, that's the big change for me. That's the biggest artistic change for me in the last 10 years is that uh, I finally view my inconsistencies not as my Achilles heel, but as my superpower. And it took a second for me to figure that out, that my inconsistencies are actually my greatest strength. Like, I can score a movie. I can make this kind of music. I can do work on political stuff. I can write. I can do all these things. I can be happy. I can be sad. I can be a punk. I can be a hippie. Because I have all those, you know, to quote Walt Whitman, I do contain multitudes. Like, I... I do, and so do you. I think we all do. We just get really caught up in the idea of, you know, brand consistency, and, and there's reasons for that, and there's really legitimate reasons for that. But um, for Well, me, the reasons are commercial. They're, they're almost exclusively commercial. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
And they make you believe yeah. that people will tune out, you know, no pun intended, yeah. if you aren't consistent. Yeah. And they underestimate the intelligence of people who liked the first thing you did, yeah. that they would be not smart enough to understand how this next different thing could possibly be, you know, the same dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's hard when you're young not to just get defensive and be like, how dare you tell, how dare you try to describe me and then try to re-describe me? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, absorbing, uh, you know, absorbing a lot of sort of, um, he was in I'm a Robot, now he's in Edward Sharp, he didn't have a beard, now he has a beard, you can't trust this guy, everything, he's a fake hippie, or whatever it is, like, absorbing all of that, um, I anticipated that, actually, oh. I, 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 I knew that that was going to happen, and yet, for me, my, I didn't come out and be like, like, I could have probably done better to be like, I was in I'm a Robot, and now I'm starting something else, but... For me, I, that wasn't really my process. I, I, I was in a sort of a gestation sort of period, mm -hmm. and uh, even up and through the first album. So I wasn't even like really able to look back at I'm a Robot and even understand what that was, because it had just, the process of being on that major label and doing that band had destroyed so much of my relationship with art that I didn't even really know how to claim it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, the the idea of just being able to just fuck, fuck a brand, you know, and just like make the new, make the next thing, follow the muse wherever it goes, um, was important to me even then. Um, but I was a little bit more aware of sort of people's, what, what people, what, especially the gatekeepers, like the, uh, the reviewers and mm -hmm. the, the, those kinds of people, what some of their responses would be. And I was also really aware of the like, you know, I think back then my biggest artistic change and, and, and the most important thing to me back then was my new kind of punk rock was being able to be earnest mm -hmm. in an environment that completely like discouraged earnestness in rock and roll. It was all about whatever the opposite of earnestness yeah, is. Yeah, well, yeah, there was, there was, I mean, if we're talking about whatever, so 2008, yeah. you know, the sort of crescendo of irony yeah. or something. Right. That and I love right. some of the culture that came out of that. Of course, and, and that's like yeah. yeah. But I think it's it, it's also interesting. Something you never could have anticipated that there would be this then move toward music that it was directly derivative of Magnetic Zeros, totally. and that that would yeah. become a huge commercial, <laughs> a massive commercial phenomena. Yeah, that you know would send any kind of like real artist running for the hills in a way. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, um, even by the time we were making our second album, it had already, that had already happened. Like, there was, there was already this sort of milieu of sort of reverberations of, of you know, dun, 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 dun. hey, it's like the, the It's like you're going to see some beards now, yeah, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch Get out ready. for the beards, and we're going to sell some uh, Priuses or whatever the <laughs> hell. And, um, and I remember we had written, I had written, uh, like, Home Part 2, basically, like, Four on the Floor, da, da 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 like a real sort of banger, like follow-up to home for the second album. And I saw that happening, and I was just like, I can't put this on the album. I can't take advantage. I can't, I can't participate in this. It was too easy. It was too easy, and it was too... I felt, it felt <laughs> derivative of myself. It felt, because all these other things had been derivative, now suddenly I'm being derivative of the derivative thing. It was too wild. And in retrospect... Yeah. Would it, the you of now? Would you release that song? 
in retrospect, I'm more at a place where I would have been comfortable releasing anything that I felt sounded good and felt good. Right, right. Um, I was a little, I was a little proactive in my sort of like, you know, my, um, my righteousness. Right. Yeah. It's borders on self-sabotage. It's point. a little, yeah. it can be self-sabotage. <laughs> Brian, actually, my manager sent the song to me recently. He's like, remember this song? And I was just like, fuck, that would have been, that was, Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it can border on self-sabotage, but I think at the same, you know, it, there's a certain, there's a certain sort of reverence I have for the idea of, of, of not repeating sort of past yeah. successes. But, um, but yeah, I think that now I'm more at a place where if a song, look, I grew up, you grew up in the nineties too. Like there was a whole, there was a whole selling out thing that used to happen that doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. Like, there is no such thing. Like, kids, I don't even think, even know what that is. Like, selling out now is, like, mixing your brand with maybe another brand that isn't your brand. But they don't have any idea that, like, Kendrick Lamar doing an Amex commercial in the 90s would have been like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the most credible dude doing an Amex commercial would have been crazy. Yeah. Um, but... You know the the logistics change. The the we, money stopped being made by album sales, and then the Medici moved in. The Coca Colas, the Pepsi's, the Amexes, and they're the ones supporting the arts. So um, it's been a. It's not that I like put my rubber stamp on the way the, the that things are today, but there is a certain aspect of liberty, of artistic liberty that that has that that has engendered, which is like. Okay, pop music is cookie cutter bullshit, but some of the songs are fucking dope, mm-hmm. and I'm allowed to enjoy them. And I wasn't like I'd never allowed myself to enjoy anything like that before. Um, what 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 was the when did you start to let it in? Um, my fucking kid, dude, being a being a dad, because I because <laughs> your kid likes regular fuck, radio stuff. I mean, she. She'll listen to, she, yeah, like, she she just likes songs that she likes. Yep. And I'll be like, okay, this is a kid without any preconceived notions. This is a real bellwether, like an actual bellwether. This isn't some, like, hip person with, like, a whole set of, like, preconditioned <laughs> notions about what's cool. Like, she's just responding to music. And I have to give that some kind of credence. Otherwise, I'm being, I'm turning a blind eye to, like, a genuine response to music. And that's been eye-opening. Right. And yeah. what sort of stuff do, does did you end up liking? Because she liked it other than Frozen soundtrack. Well, like, she loves that song, I'm Blue. I'm Blue, yeah, I don't need but Remember that oh, old-ass yeah. song? And that's a song that I was always just like, yeah, that's a funny, weird, silly song. But, like, she'll like, she'll like songs, like, in that zone or st- songs I never really heard before that were, like, massive hits in Europe because her mom will play her, like, sort of like dance, like 90s dance house sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that, and then she'll like, she loves Taylor Swift, like yeah. Welcome to New York or something like that. Welcome to New York. You know, it's like it's in movies. It's yeah. in like pet, Secret Life of Pets. And so I'll be listening to this stuff. And then um, my girlfriend would be like, oh, no, that is a good song. And I'll be like, okay. And then And then we're all listening to it. And I'm listening to this song and I'm like, and it's just taking me a second, but then, like, I want to participate in their joy, so I'll just start, you know, like, trying to view it, do, view this stuff in a different way. And um, 
But has it has it affected your songwriting? It's a it's I don't know if that I I would say it probably has in the sense that I don't. I mean, do you or is it? I'm like not sure trying that, to decrypt what is it that what is that makes you know what is she responding to? What is your daughter responding to? You know, it's made it. I I I will say that it's made it like when Eartha likes a song of mine, that's like a green light. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I so I do have that. But I also have a thing where this album, this new album, is the most, it's the most I've allowed myself to be sort of like pop in a really long time. The last time I did stuff like this was actually just pre-I'm a Robot, and I had forgotten about this era. And concurrent with the last four years and making this new album, I started just like checking some of that old old like it was still called i'm a robot but it was like two like 98 to 2001 and i started just listening to some of that stuff i was making and realizing that before i ever thought of having an audience i was making music that was in some ways a lot more relatable than anything i've made I had made since then. I was talking about personal emotional stuff as opposed to communally emotional stuff. I was um, singing melodies that were like really just sort of emotive and pure and basic and yeah, naturalistic, naturalistic, yeah. and not trying to be sort of like hyper fancy about anything. I was not trying to enshroud my lyrics at all in poeticism at all. Like I had stuff where you're like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" But I had a lot of stuff where it was like, I'm depressed, this is how I feel, this is what's happening, I want you back. Like, stuff that, like, I haven't touched in fucking decades, you know what I mean? Right. Um, especially with Edward Sharp, because with Edward Sharp, I was like, I'm above the... Fr- this is about this is about communalism. This mm-hmm. is about sort of, like, whatever I'm going to express emotionally is going to be sort of this meta-expression of communal emotionalism. It's not going to be my own interpersonal daily strife with someone. And um, and there's something intrinsically pop about the latter, about talking about your own personal relationship with a breakup or a thing. And I was just avoiding. But when sort you of listen to that. that stuff, did you find that it was better than you would have thought it was? And yes, but I was also blushing with the amount, <laughs> with the degree of um, honesty I was approaching so- like music with. I, I, it's like the some of those songs. I'm just like. They're they're gut wrenchingly honest in this in a in a total and totally embarrassing. But I was but my overriding feeling was whoever that kid was that I was was really fucking brave for saying any of that shit. And I've obviously lost some of that bravery, and I should probably get some of that back. And uh, so that had an effect on on this. Yeah. Plus, I for the very first time in my life, I really had cause. You know, having a kid and having a baby mama and the vision of a family and having that disintegrate um, was a new level of personal, emotional sort of strain that I hadn't experienced in basically... I'd experienced some of that with during the Edward Sharp time frame, but I just basically couldn't do that because there was too many people in the band. Some of the people I was having the beefs with were in the band. So there's just no room. Yeah. You know what I mean? I read... a. I read an inter- an old interview with you where you told a story about being six and writing about a boy who had a crew. Yeah. Once there was a boy who had a big, strong crew. They traveled the world and went on adventures, 
they also knew kung fu. <laughs> but I love that big strong crew thing. It's so it's so when my mom showed that to me, it was just like it was so cool to connect that dot to like be like I've always I've always known I wanted this sense of community. Like when I was making the Edward Sharp stuff before I met any of the guys, the only person I knew was Christian and Jade. And but I was making this music and I would do fake background things and claps and record 85 claps and, and haze and hose and, and tambourines jangling and fake uh, trumpet and piano. I had this vision of this giant traveling troubadour misfit crew that I didn't know yet. But it, that was the vision. And, and it was like when my mom showed me that like even since... like it, it, And I always remember that that had been something I... I sort of idealized, and as I grew up and I learned about movements, and um, as I got political and learned about political movements, or artistically and art movements, and I found out they'd all gather at this one cafe, and they'd all do the thing together, or they'd all go out to this place and talk about this together. I was like really, really romanticized that, and felt like I never had any of that in this sort of really splayed out diaspora, LA, Los Angeles, like communally sort of not communally vacant, but like, you know, to get to Thrifty's to get ice cream, I had to bike 25 blocks. Like it wasn't, there was nothing was close. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I remember when my parents finally moved to like the flats and I could actually just walk to a gas station and buy Mentos. I was like, this is epic, you know, like, cause I felt like I was in a, a milieu of something, like I was in culture somehow, but I felt like I would, yeah, I felt like culture was always at arm's distance. Because why? Where did you live before you moved to the flats? We were in, we were just in Sherman Oaks, but they were in the hills. And right. so I'd have to, I would like walk my bike down because shit is steep here. Yeah. So it's like a real effort, you know, walk my bike down, pretend to be like, you know, like, I, I think I've probably told you this before, but pretend to be sort of like a street kid. I always wanted to be a street kid, like growing up upper middle class. I was just like, I'm missing out on something. I just always had this instinct, but to be in the streets and and eating ice cream on the corner and having like a fake like you know uh switchblade like comb. hair comb yeah in my hands <laughs> like everything was right you know what i mean and um yeah i got to pretend like i was in like living but for the most part everything was like at arm's length and you had to drive everywhere and you know not not much of a sense of like oh my neighbors you know right i don't know i think it's interesting like reflecting on the things that you've made and 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 this thread of of wanting a community it's interesting because it also seems like the experience, creative experiences you've had or and life experiences remind one that it's hard to keep a group together that that like as i as much as you might romanticize a crew or community that the real human component of any group of people more than one is fraught with conflict and yeah. the potential for things to fall apart and at the end of the day who can you count on but yourself you yeah. know there is I think an interesting like self-reliance that you have as an artist where I know you're I mean you're the guy who's you're doing all of the things you're you're making every part of it you're you're a perfectionist yeah is that is that no that's fair? accurate yeah yeah. yeah yeah um and it I would imagine at some point in these more recent years, especially with the success of doing the film composing and that kind of work, that you've come to accept that as much as you like community, you also like doing everything. You like, if, yeah, if I, I like, want it done right, I'm going to do it myself kind of person. That and, you know, there's, um, I think some people are born 
being more like sort of more people per pe people people or whatever and and really want to sort of you know for me my friends are the ones in whatever moment where I'm creating I'm doing something with them if I'm making something with someone and we're being creative together they're my friends you know what I mean and I have friends where we don't do anything but I I'm not the I don't I don't go to a bar to hang out with friends. I don't, you know, I'll come to a birthday party, but I'm not necessarily going to do a whole bunch more if we're not working on something. Unless, you know, I have a very small group of friends that, like, that doesn't apply to. But it's like three people, maybe. For the most part, you know, I love making stuff. And I love making stuff with people. And that could be political. It could be music. It could be anything. Building a house. It could be literally anything. But I like the process of doing things together with people. That said, that's the vehicle for the community I'm realizing for me in terms of my my life. And what's beautiful about the Edward Sharp thing, though, I got to say, is, is that we've really ended up becoming a real, like, family. Like a real brotherhood family thing where even though we haven't toured in four years we really love each other we have each other's back everyone is like so supportive of one another and I think that that's really beautiful because that is in so many ways what I always wanted um, is to start you know to have a big strong crew that toured around the world that you know went around the world having adventures which is exactly what ended up happening and, um, you know, we're making another album this year. Nice. And, um, yeah, and we tried the, the writing all together at once, and it was amazing. It was the first time we did it was this, on the last album. And this album, we're going to try a little something different. I'm going to write with each person individually. Because, like you said, like a lot of, there's group dynamics in any group. And um, so it would be interesting to sort of be one-on-one, -on -one and, and hopefully even more permission will be felt uh, in the room to explore ideas and, fail and you know all that it must be nice just to have that channel open though right yeah that it's... yeah 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 totally i mean sometimes moving to new orleans and being being sort of a hermit when i create on my own and and all that and also being there's a certain resentment that naturally happens for me when um when any success compels me to mm. to sort of feel like a cog in a machine and I did it with I'm a Robot, and I, and, I, and I don't want to do it with Edward Sharp, and I felt like it was starting to happen, where, the whole, where I started thinking about throwing the whole the kitchen out with the kitchen sink or whatever, mm. you know? Where it's just like the whole thing I'm now associating with this um, repetitious capitalist machine that is designed to be ergonomic and economically viable and go from one thing to the other. And, and you know, that's not, the, that's not the energy that I approached Edward Sharp with to begin with. I bought a... I bought a a 1984 bus I got like on Craigslist for nine grand and we gutted it ourselves and I was adamant that we were never going to play any clubs we were only going to play like house parties and parks and alleyways and we we're going to just make it work we we're going to it's going to be more of a movement than some sort of like operationalized fucking hippie band it was going to be this thing and then it just because of inefficiency and everyone wants to make money and people are quitting their jobs we just fell into the thing well, you can't not go you for can't, it. You, you can't, can't not, not go, go for it. For you it. can't not go for it. But I, but I wanted to try and go for it in a slightly. I lost track of the dream, and I could have, I could have incorporated more of those things. But either way, I ended up feeling, like a little bit like, you know, 
album touring cycle album touring cycle i'm in the i'm in the bus all the time i'm i'm uh, i'm at these i'm at this festival and that and i've just kept being like this is not necessarily the vision that i initially had and i started again getting the same thing that happened towards the end of the i'm a robot cycle where i was like where what is the reason for make for me making music again like what's the uh, what's underneath what's driving all this because it started to feel like a real business and I, and I started to lose track of why I was doing it. All right, well, let's make an album because we should. So I just had to step back and step away. But I made sure not to make the mistake of identifying the band and the family with my uncomfortableness with um, or my discomfort with um, sort of the capitalist sort of uh, repetition that we ended up in. And I would imagine that some of the, uh, you know, that some of the film work showed you like oh wait i don't just i can I do can, other things i can do all sorts of stuff yeah yeah the film work in, in in so many ways is what allowed like allowed me to be like okay because i had the i'm a robot thing musically and the edward sharp thing musically and it was like this binary and i and and it's still i was still in this mode of like okay i'm i'm still being perceived as either one thing or the other or or traitor to one or a traitor to the other in my own head and other people vocally telling me that but then when I scored music, and it has nothing musically to do with any of the other stuff, it suddenly gave me this, like, that, that third thing destroyed the binary, and suddenly I was like, okay, I can see myself now as someone who instead of thinking, like, uh, that I have a choice of what I can be, I can be wherever, wherever I want to go. And that allowed me to sort of think of things totally differently and decide to be like, okay, Fuck the brand. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna. I'm gonna rap. Like there's enough that I want to say right now that I'm actually gonna rap. Or I'm gonna make the music I was making when I was 19, and not thinking of an audience and um, and career suicide or not. Like it's about wherever my muse is. And I think that that willingness to um, self obliterate for the name for the sake of your own creative pulse is important. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place for us to okay, cool. wrap it up. <laughs> Self obliteration. Yeah, yeah. Again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you want to find out more about that awesome new solo album of Alex's that we discussed, I vs. I, there are tunes and videos, including a new version of a standout track called Stronger, over on his website, which is samedude.com, where a 5 is in place of the S. And that's also where you can find out more about the Tuners app, 
Thanks again to Alex for taking the time to do this, and also thanks to his manager and our dear friend Brian Ling for setting it up and making sure I had plenty of Diet Coke. Love you, Bri. Uh, The next episode of LSQ, episode 44, out in a few weeks, will feature an interview with Toon Yard's Meryl Garbus. That was an awesome conversation as well. Can't wait to share it. And subscribe if you haven't done that yet. Also, feel free to reach me with feedback any old time on Twitter and Instagram, at Jenny LSQ. Stay safe, y'all. 